find a way. Idil Elverish presents. In today's episode, my guest is Cindy Noble, who's going to be talking about conflict coaching. Another program of We Can Find a Way, a podcast about conflict resolution. My name is Idil Elverish and I'm a mediator based in London and Istanbul and have been teaching mediation for a while. Since I moved to London three years ago, I have found the opportunity to discover even more about conflict resolution and started to cover all these areas in the episodes of the podcast. As you know, this is a bilingual podcast that covers alternative dispute resolution methods, issues in conflict and new developments in the area. I talk to many people from all over the world and in the three years that I started this podcast, I made already 58 episodes, 14 of which were in English. For ease of reference for the listeners, I now have put all of the episodes in a playlist and all the episodes in English are now under a separate heading in this playlist as episodes in English. Please follow, uh, write a review if you can. Uh, This helps the podcast to be found easily in search engines. I don't know that many bilingual podcasts, so it would be greatly appreciated. Now, in this episode of We Can Find A Way, I will cover conflict coaching, and my guest is Sydney Noble, who is a pioneer of conflict management coaching. She's a former lawyer with a Master's of Law in Dispute Resolution, a chartered mediator, and a professionally certified coach. Cindy and her team train mediators, coaches, and others, and she has already written two coaching books. Now, let us move to the interview that took place with her on 25th of March. Hello, Cindy. Thanks for agreeing to talk to me today. My pleasure. Thank you for asking me. Can you please tell us what is conflict coaching? Conflict coaching, which is also known as conflict management coaching, is a technique that's used by coaches and mediators and other people who work with clients in conflict on a one-to-one basis. It is a process by which people who go to this kind of coaching are wanting to engage more effectively in conflict. They want to develop and strengthen their skills so that they can better be in conflict and manage themselves, manage how they react. So it's really about making a better version of yourself when it comes to how you engage in conflict. So it could be conflict competent skills that people are aware of skills they don't have. That is, people are in a dispute, they're in the middle of it, and they want to manage it better. They can see it all derailing, and they want to better manage it. It could be before a conflict, people anticipate that this is going to go in an organizational context. An example might be giving a performance appraisal to somebody. It could be that it's after conflict, when someone's just agonizing, not feeling very resilient about what happened, and they want to figure out what to do about it, if anything, you know, what if this happens again? 
how do I carry on before, during, after conflict, or generally because people are looking to be better at how they are in conflict. Let's say there's a lot of conflict in this company. And as the human resources, we have to deal with all of this. Can you please teach us how to be more competent in handling conflicts? You can do coaching, group coaching. I don't. I prefer one-to-one work. And why somebody would see somebody one-to-one is they specifically identify, these are the things that I have trouble with. It's not issue-driven as a mediation might be, what's going on amongst us. What I found over time is that there can be a lot around communications, which is not only around how do I deliver these messages? How do I respond to them? How do I receive what they say to me? And I like to think of conflict management coaching as shifting people from reaction to reflection, to response, to resilience. So there's a trajectory they go along. and But once they go into actually dealing with the situation, how can they move to the part of their brain that thinks it out and can problem solve, but it isn't reacting? We've talked a lot about the neuroscience and has been around for a long time, but we're thinking about it more in the conflict management field than ever because of people who've done some really great research around that. The perfect example is in conflict where you can't help but be operating from the emotional part of your brain if you're upset about something. And so, but that isn't the same part of the brain that's going to problem solve. So part of what happens in coaching is shifting, helping, facilitating that shift. And how long would you work with somebody usually, or does it depend on the person? It does. I would say a minimum of six sessions. They're about an hour long and uh, it takes time to start to shift. Most of my clients are more than eight sessions, mostly because people who choose or refer to are really trying to make some durable change. It's often not just about the dispute and that's not an easy thing to start to shift habitual ways of doing things. And so it does take time to work away. And I have a process that I work with. Can you give us some examples where your conflict coaching worked well, and also expand on why we need that kind of coaching. Uh, one is a new manager. So people who go into new management positions are you know, often promoted based on skills and a lot of other good things, but doesn't mean that they know how to manage conflict. And many managers will tell you that's something that they don't know how to manage very well. People in leadership position who are always in the face of conflict don't come with conflict competence automatically. And some have trained in it, some have worked on it because they know it's challenging. And having said that, many people get into the position and realize the, the real life examples that require them to be strong longer in their competencies. And so I have a new manager who was just appointed to a job and he right away was in a conflict with one of his co-workers who wanted that same job and they both competed. And now he's trying to manage the group when everybody knew that in the group and particularly the person who lost the job is reacting very poorly in teams and otherwise. And so he's trying to figure out how do I manage this better because he reacted really quickly to it at the first meeting. And so he wants to not do that. I have a woman who is She's going into a mediation with four family members, and it's about what to do around a family estate. She knows in within that family, the siblings that she's going to react strongly to, and she knows what they're going to say. And she said, I don't want to repeat the same patterns because it never got us anywhere before. It's not going to help now. So she wants to look at her way of reacting and how she's going to respond differently. It can be relationships with friends, neighbors, the people you are managing. I've certainly coached people who aren't at management level as well, trying to work out how they're going to get along within a team where they're not managing very well. I use a model uh, for pre-mediation coaching to prepare people to engage in mediation. You know, typically people 
can identify where they know they're not very good in conflict. If they think about situations where they just don't want to repeat bad patterns, then they're likely to be really great candidates for coaching. But that requires a lot of self-reflection, even self-awareness. And not many people have that. Also in managerial positions. And I disagree to some extent. I think they have it. It hasn't been tapped. And I think that when people are referred to coaching, for instance, they might start with being resentful of being referred. Well, they have the ability to self-reflect. The starting point is they're not very happy about being told to go there. There's been a growth in coaching cultures around the world, which means that people get what coaching is and they don't see it as punitive as it might have been at one time. It's much more seen as a developmental frame. Many of the clients that come, even those who are referred, are not necessarily resistant. They might not like being referred. They might feel like they're being punished for something. Mostly are more inclined to say, this is for me to be better at what I'm doing because I just don't do it well. In what type of organizations do we see that? It sounds to me like bigger corporations rather than small to medium-sized businesses. Please tell us more where it's really growing. You know, I see it growing quite broadly. It's not just large organizations, although they might better able to fund it rather than people who are deciding to do this independently. It depends on the organization's attitude towards conflict, trying to say, look, it's inevitable, it's normal, so let's give people the tools. has been a long time in coming, and there are some organizations that will be ahead of the game and all this. You know, yeah, let's just make sure we're not having a workplace that's going to cost us um, money, time, reputation, because we're always in conflict. And we lose people or other people complain about us. It does take a certain mindset on behalf of the organization, whether it's public, private, nonprofit, whatever it is to say, how is conflict working for us? And generally, people say not very well. And that takes some vision on behalf of the leaders. I would say some organizations are better at it. Some of the best referrals I get are people who've had coaching. But there are certainly many organizations that don't. There are many people who think it's therapy or something, you know, they're being referred for some kind of therapeutic intervention. Others think it is remedial. Oh, they've been bad, as I mentioned. So it's part of being a coach is marketing it effectively. So people get, this is what it is. This is about development. This is about being a better version of who you are when it comes to conflict. And so it takes leaders who get it and individuals who, if they don't get it immediately, start to understand they can do better than they're doing and probably already can identify where they're not. It's just giving into the idea that there's opportunity in this and they can shift the way they engage in conflict because many people will say, well, this is who I am. This is what I've learned. And they don't see maybe there are different ways of doing what you're doing. And once they get it and start to think about the coaches are a big support persons. We're the ally of the client. We're there. We partner. And once clients catch on to that and get it, then they are more relaxed and trusting and they're more likely to say, yeah, this is where I'm not very good and where I need some help. I think one of the things that people don't appreciate or realize get around coaches is that we partner with our clients in order to develop a rapport so that they can trust us and trust the process in order to try out new ways of being and to take a really close look at their habits. And for those, for instance, you mentioned that may not be self-reflective, to be empowered to reflect. Many people work in organizations where they're just told what to do. And so when they come to a coach, they, you know, well, tell me what to do. And to have somebody else say, I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to tap into what you've got <laughs> is new to many people. I've seen many people blossom and do better at what they're doing in life because they're comfortable and more competent and more confident around how they engage with people when there's fractious situations. What type of conflicts that you really 
really see people fail in handling, especially in corporations or your clients? I don't use the word fail. Um, yeah, yeah, sorry. You know, I think it's, it's a matter of people strengthening what they've got. So they right, or which cause, which cause friction, let's put it that way. Right. <laughs> right. That need to progress. Well, you know, some of it has to go with their style of engaging. They may be avoiders. He was a manager who avoided conflict. And every time somebody went to him with something, he'd say, oh, we'll work it out. It'll be fine. Don't worry. And minimizing, minimizing, minimizing until there were big conflicts. And then he blew up. It might be, you know, if you're too competitive in an organization, it can happen too if people who are too accommodating. I had another case with a gentleman who was a great collaborator in his organization, and then he only had 10 staff members, and they started to complain about him, saying, make a decision. You are calling us all the time. He believed he had to have a collaborative decision and they weren't collaborative about it. So they were saying, just make the decision. Here's where we stand. He was fearful, too afraid to make decisions. And that didn't look very good on him. And so he had to look at, you know, when is he collaborative? And when does he say, okay, I've listened to what you've said. This is where I'm going with it. He didn't want to hurt people's feelings. If people are going to get angry, blow up, tell people off, put people down, all of the kinds of things that are sort of childhood kinds of behaviors, but come out of people are stressed and tired and when it's really a habitual way that they have learned and it doesn't work in many organizations anymore in some organizations it's expected but many organizations will say it's just not on but we have generations of people now are saying i'm not going to put up with it and they leave and so that attrition has started to cost organizations so organizations where the old way of that were culturally expected about how bosses are or how you are in this organization is you know many are saying no no more those would be commonly and well i get a lot of people who are in new leadership positions i certainly have people who are of the old guard and they're saying you know this is the way i do it and this is and how come has got me this far without looking at what it does for relationships and, and building a community. And if you ask people around what they want from their organization, many people will say they want a sense of belonging. They want to feel part of a group. They want to feel united. Those who don't are more likely to feel on the fringe, be marginalized, be in conflict, start conflict. We don't learn how to be conflict managers as kids. And we learn from our families mostly or from, you know, there's significant others around that might have an influence on us. Conflict management training per se is just one part of what is needed. It's really about how can you help people shift their habits, which they've learned from a pretty young age about what conflict's all about. I would say the range of what comes in front of me is often people who have struggled over time with not liking conflict, not knowing how to do it, possibly avoiding or overreacting and anywhere in between. And the reason they come to me is because whatever they're doing just isn't working in their current context. There will be always like some industry sectors that will be more conservative. Like one of them I'm thinking is probably like the health sector, legal sector. What do you see? Is it really like business, business sectors that are more aware? One of my biggest clients have been hospitals and healthcare centers over time. There's been huge shifts in how things are managed internally. And there's certainly still a, a bit of a hierarchical thing going on. And that does cause some conflict. 
But also, I have seen some shifts over time and looking at how it has started to impact on patients and the and the hospitals or the clinics has led those visionary leaders to say, this isn't how we run. I've worked in many public and private sector organizations, banks, NGOs, private companies, small companies, large companies. It's not specific to any organizations, but a lot of people who are expats and have moved to other countries to work in other organizations where how you manage conflict or how you are interacting can be extremely different. Those people will seek out, I don't know how to do it here. And it's not that the coach knows, it's really up to the client to start noticing and observing what's important to fit in and be able to to work out how you're going to get along in an organization that's perhaps antithetical to how you're used to interacting. And my last question probably is how to become a conflict coach. There are a number of coaching programs now that are being offered. It's not the most common in the field of coaching. Um, the International Coaching Federation is one of the major organizations in the world. That's coachfederation.org for those who want to look at it. The International Coaching Federation has chapters all over the world, and they have programs that teach people to become accredited as a coach. So that's business coach, life coach, sort of general package. People like my myself come up with a niche that we see as a gap. I train mediators, human resource, coaches, psychologists, social workers, lawyers, union, anybody who is managing people with conflict or dealing with people in conflict who want another tool, who want to do it better, who want to be more specific about zeroing in on what's going on for clients to be able to get underneath their conflicts. Is there anything else you would like to add? I don't think so. I think you've covered a lot. In today's episode, my guest was Cindy Noble. She and I discuss what conflict coaching is, why it's needed, and in which areas it thrives. Cindy described how this process focuses on clients on a one-to-one basis in order to strengthen their conflict competence and maximize their ability to engage in conflict she also underlined that the old ways of managing isn't really working for new generations and increasingly many managers are even referred to conflict coaching to handle this matter much much better because people are looking more meaning in their work so i hope you enjoy the program i will upload a picture of cine in the Instagram account of We Can Find A Way. I will share some excerpts from the program in Instagram stories as well. Lastly, I would like to close by thanking musician Imre Hadi and artist Seren Göktan who allowed me to use their materials in this podcast. Thank you and see you in the next program. We Can Find A Way. Idil Elberich presented. <laughs>